Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. If you're uh, normally with us, I cut my hair. I don't clap when you bring your Bible. No, it's good. So, <laughs> oh, that was mean. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me for chiding my congregation. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to read this together. I'm actually going to have a stand up, and we're going to read it out loud, which is such a beautiful sound. Uh, when the scriptures are read in the church uh, together in full voice, so we'll just all skate this passage uh, together in a moment. If you're new with us and you haven't uh, been around or you haven't been around the last couple weeks, we have been doing a series on the Sabbath. This is the fourth of the Ten Commandments that you can see on the screen, and it's about the Sabbath. Uh, it's interesting to do anything more than one week on the Sabbath, and we chose to do five. Uh, today's the fourth week. It's a, a little backstory for you. On Thursday of last week, I, was, I texted Jamie, who works here, and I said, uh, I think I'm on a bail. I think I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> Ironically, a series about rest has been wearing me out. But, um, and so I literally had all these notes and things and uh, was struggling with today and uh, just sort of said, that's it. I don't know what to do. I'll just make up something. However, uh, I spent some time, some more time looking at the thing we're going to read and uh, something just sort of jumped, you know. And uh, so we're, we're back in. <laughs> we're back, just when you thought it was going to get interesting, we're back in. So, uh, but we've been talking about the Sabbath. And the thing about the Sabbath is uh, the word itself means to stop, to cease, to get away, to step away, to, you know, just rest. So the command is about rest uh, more than anything. And when you and I read a passage like the one we're going to read in a moment, it feels um, extremely far away. It feels very like it's so Moses, it's Old Testament, it's just so far back in time. And Sabbath, the idea anyway, feels irrelevant. It feels like it's not very feasible or doable in today's world. And so you and I are left with, when we read a command like this, uh, with the question, does our world, does 21st century America have margin for this? That's the question that we're sort of left with. Do we have margin for rest in our culture? And the thing about the biblical teaching for rest, which has really been our series, it's not just, when, we, when you read about rest in the Bible, it's not just about rest meaning that I remove myself from chaos and go find a quiet beach somewhere and just chill, which that can be a part of it. You know, just me and a book and a lawn chair and the birds, right? That might be a piece of it, but when you read about rest in the Bible and the biblical idea of rest and teaching of rest, it is not a removal from chaos or stress, but it's somehow like through God's grace finding peace in the midst of a chaotic life. That's really the trick. And a common phrase heard in homes on the Sabbath is the phrase Shabbat Shalom. Say this with me, Shabbat Shalom, which means the stopping day of peace. So there's kind of like this, it's not a removal. We're still in the same world. We're still in the same neighborhood. We're still in the same house. And everything, you know, the bills are still piled up on the desk and the work is still there, but we have stopped. And there's peace in the midst of all that. And so, and furthermore, the kind of rest that the Bible talks about is the kind of rest that knows again, in the midst of stress and chaos and schedules and obligations, that God is present, that He's not somewhere else. He has not left us uh, to ourselves. So that's really what we've been talking about. And two things from last week, if you were here last week, and this is review, obviously, and we'll get into, uh, we'll read this text together in a moment. But last week, two things we talked about. One is that Jesus, He changed and remixed the nature of the Sabbath. That you and I, I mean, you've probably already read ahead, but 
the Israelites were, they were bound to some pretty detailed descriptions of what they could and could not do on the Sabbath. It's not as long as you think. You could number the do's and don'ts on one hand that are in the Bible. Anything you've heard about, any nightmare stories you've heard about Sabbath observance, those are tradition. They're not biblical. The Bible gives very little for Sabbath keeping, and essentially it's all the same thing. Don't, don't work. That's it. So you figure that out. Um, however, the schedule of the Sabbath, six days on, one day off, you may choose to do that, but Jesus sort of changed the nature of the Sabbath, and you don't have to do that. He opened up the command. More, it's more custom. You can sort of, it's, it's up to you on how you translate and implement the Sabbath into your life. So it could be a daily quiet time. It could be a weekly uh, day, it could be a retreat. It could be a monthly getaway. It could be an annual sojourn of sorts, or it could be all four, which people do. Um, so we talked about that a little bit last week. But most importantly, this is what we have really been saying all series, and let me say it again. When you cut away at the command, this thing on the screen, and you drill all the way down to the core of it, the main reason for Sabbath is to step away from everything in our lives that normally has our attention and our energies and so forth, and that's primarily work. And work is anything that you're obligated to do, and it's for your livelihood, and it's just what you're doing, and we'll look at that in a moment. And we step away, like we stop doing all those things, and we remind ourselves that this world we live in is God's world. He created everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. He threw the stars in the sky. He knows all their names. If he named them, I'm just assuming he's got some names for some. And he just threw the stars in the sky. He knows them all. He knows every hair on your head or every hair that you used to have on your head or whatever the situation may be for your life. And uh, that same God, creator, sustainer of life, maker of everything, and when you make everything, including the universe, you win. And so the Sabbath is simply me stepping away from my world, and it's almost like a prescription for, like, if I ever start to feel like I'm becoming the God of whatever it is that I do, I step away for a moment and I remind myself that I'm just a small piece of God's big world, and I didn't make God's world. And so Sabbath becomes this moment where I remind myself that this is God's world. And what's most incredible about God is that even though He is the maker, creator, sustainer of everything, and we're not, He still cares for me, and He still loves me, and He loves you. And so Sabbath really is this refreshing moment where we walk away from the things that our hands are doing, and we remind ourselves that uh, that this is God's world, and what God is doing in me is more important than what I'm doing in His world. And so that's where we've been the last few weeks. Today I'm going to talk about rest from work. Does anybody need that? That's why you're here. You know, that's why I'm here, Derek. Free coffee and child care. Woo. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's what we're going to do, sort of. It's sort of an interesting take on the, on the text. Let's all stand, and we're going to read this together, and I will pray, and then we'll get into this. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 says... Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of rest, and thank you for uh, these moments that we're together, that we can rest in your presence and among each other, and we can hear from you and your word. And uh, we pray over the next few moments that you will 
take what's on the screen and just, uh, just dive right into our lives and in our hearts. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Have a seat. Uh, can I read you, before we get into what this is, can I read you, a, a, I did this last hour where they thought it was funny, but uh, can I read you a, a great Sabbath story in the Bible? Yes. It comes from Nehemiah, if you just really want to go for it. It's chapter 13. Uh, it's free. It's not in the sermon, so it's sort of extra baseball here. Um, but there, there are very few Sabbath stories in the Scriptures, and this one is awesome. It's Nehemiah. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, uh, basically in the middle 400s B.C., Jerusalem was sort of a piece of trash of, of a city, and it had been ransacked and abandoned, and all these people were gone. Well, Nehemiah gets a vision from God to go and rebuild the wall around the city so the city could have some infrastructure. And so the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah's journal of him sort of managing that project, which is a big project. I mean, it's Jerusalem, so he's there rebuilding. So they get things back together, and at the end of the story, Nehemiah says these words in chapter 13. He says, in those days, if you're following along, it's verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah uh, treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So here's the red flag bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. Uh, and they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. So he's saying they're working on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, quote, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. This is Nehemiah's version of you cannot run in the church, okay? Verse 19, you've got to hear this. So it's city. It's Jerusalem. There's a wall, an infrastructure. There's trade and commerce. These are good things. Verse 19, when the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, so this is kind of Friday evening sort of thing, I ordered the doors to the city gates to be shut and not open till the Sabbath was over. It's a big decision. So you have all these merchants, all these trade people, businesses happening, and the evening before the sun went down on the Sabbath, Nehemiah orders the gates to be closed to the city. The mall is closed. And then he says, I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no one could be brought, so no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Right? This is the best part. Verse 20. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods, they spent the night outside Jerusalem. So you have this picture of like, all these people came to Jerusalem to do their business, and Nehemiah shuts the city down, the gates are closed, everything's, you know, out of the pool. Uh, it's the Sabbath, we're stopping, and you're going to have to stop too. And so you have this whole picture of like all these merchants just sort of like, I mean, they can't go home, it's like they don't have a car, and so they're just waiting for Chick-fil-A to open. <laughs> you know, just kind of, this is crazy. But it gets better. Uh, but I warned them, Nehemiah said, and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> And then it says, from that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. So I just have this picture of like, you know, somewhere in another city, they're like, okay, we got to get this delivery to uh, Jerusalem, but don't go on Friday because you just sit there all night. Uh, you got to go Sunday or whatever. But anyway, funny story. 
There you go. That's an installment of your Sabbath scripture today. All right. The text that we read on the screen, those words, and this is very important for us to remember uh, or to learn for the first time. When Israel got those words from God, these are God speaking the commandments to Israel. Uh, one of the things to remember is that Israel as a nation was still very much on the run from slavery, right? And in fact, in Exodus 20, this may be one of the first times that the nation itself had sort of sat still. And so when they're sitting still, God gives them this new way of living, these ten words. We call them the Ten Commandments. The Bible calls them the Ten Words. And so God gives them these words for life, this framework for living a new life. But the context, the setting, the situation is that they're still very much running from slavery and into freedom. And everything they understood about life and work was defined and framed by their experience as slaves. That was the narrative of their history. You have to understand that. We don't get that. We don't understand that in a sense that we've been through that. But that's their history, and that's the narrative of their story. And in slavery, as you can imagine, hard work and um, life-threatening work and degrading work is the main, that's the main thing. Essentially, no work, no life. So they lived their lives, and this may be the worst thing about slavery, uh, they lived their lives knowing, they lived and worked knowing that they were expendable. So they were only worth as much as they could accomplish or contribute on a certain day. Maybe you feel that way at your job, I don't know. But they especially understood more than anyone were expendable. So that's a lot of fear in that kind of work. Like there's a fear of failure, there's a fear of disappearing and being forgotten, there's a fear of being replaced. And that's the setting in which they were hearing this command about rest. They did not understand stopping because their history affected how they heard this command. Just think about the things that they may have saw in slavery, like a friend, someone they knew got sick and they weren't able to work and so they were thrown out and replaced. And the lesson they learned in that was don't get sick, right? Or a friend stopped, someone stopped to take a break in the heat of the day and they were beaten unconscious. Lesson learned, don't stop. Someone didn't lay the bricks just right, and they were denied food for days. Lesson learned, don't fail. Someone asked for more time to finish the job, perhaps, and they were killed. Lesson learned, don't ever speak up. And this is the setting, and that's their history. So you've got to understand that when God says, hey, take a day off, they're thinking, we've never done that before. And I don't think we can do that before. And because of this, rest and Sabbath for the Israelites that never came easy. It would always be a fight. From the moment these words were given to them from God, it was a fight. And if you look at the command, it's not as though it's like promoting laziness. It's six days of work, hard work. The word labor comes from the word slave. So it's, they're slaving, they're working, they're working very hard. So it's not like the command is promoting laziness, but the command still sounded counterintuitive to them. And Israel would continually, throughout the Scriptures, turn their back on the Sabbath. Most of the passages about the Sabbath, as we read earlier from Nehemiah, most of them are someone like Nehemiah or God himself reminding Israel to keep it, to keep it. They've forgotten. So a day off from work for them was a very hard thing to accept. It wasn't their understanding of how life worked. Not to succeed at their work was to be thrown out and replaced. 
So Sabbath, when this command's given, Sabbath for them was a day to remember, and this is very important, that they were no longer in Egypt. This is the main thing. That they, when they stop and they rest, it was a reminder and a statement to the world, because no one else was doing this, that they weren't slaves anymore. That they can rest. And so Sabbath was a reminder that their worth as people was no longer found in their work, but in God's love for them, care for them. Now, the passage is about rest, and it's about rest for all kinds of people. If you notice here, it says, uh, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your daughter, nor your uh, son, daughter, manservant, maidservant, nor the animals, nor the alien within your gates. It's about a lot of people, but the command, all, it begins with uh, me and you. It begins with the person who's hearing it. So it doesn't matter who reads the command. It always is directed first at the listener, the person who hears this or reads this, is first and foremost by themselves in the command. It's just, you're just all alone in it. And so resting from work, and this is what we've talked about up until this point today, is something that starts with me, right? So I am left to translate this kind of thing into my own life, which means I need to know my own rhythms of work and rest. I need to know my own breaking points and when it's time to stop, and it may be different for you than it is for me. And I need to know when to say when and to walk away. So you may work in an office. Anybody work in an office? Let's hear it. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Must be a tough office. You're like, <laughs> we, can't, we can't clap in my office. Uh, maybe you lead a team. Maybe you run a company. Let me hear these people. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you manage the family. Anybody? Okay, that's good. One. There she is. There she is. Uh, full-time student. Any of those here? It, I know it's early, but are you here? Okay, good. Uh, Here's the thing, whatever it is it has, and I said this at the beginning, whatever it is that has your attention or your energy all week, that's your work, right? So it's up to you and to me to intentionally build in those stopping points wherever those need to be. And that's been our focus so far. I mean, we've looked at Sabbath from the personal, individual side, and that's good because that's where the command begins. Sabbath starts with me. You shall not do any work, neither you, and then it moves on. So it's my role to balance engagement and retreat. It's my responsibility to translate Sabbath into my own life. And as uh, you were here last week in the cards you got, the finding the time, the silencing the time, the focusing the time with God, those, all, all three of those things are up to me. No one can force me to do that. When I went to seminary, they, um, at freshman orientation, which is an awkward time, you know, you're like, wow. Um, I'm not in Atlanta anymore. So I'm at freshman orientation, and they're going over all the ins and outs of school, and they start talking about the spiritual life and the campus life at, at, at the school. And there's all these different things they have in place for you to grow in your faith. There's small groups you can join. There are service teams you can join. There are two chapels a week. There's a Wednesday night gathering for worship. And all these things they started listing and just going through. They meet here and there, and this is what time and what it's about, and et cetera. And so you, there were all these options, this sort of bank of things that you could tap into and use for your own uh, spiritual growth. The reason they do that is because in a college setting like that, the Bible can become impersonal, it can become a textbook, and, you know, that's never good. Um, so they, they present all these things that you can do. But then they said this about all of those options that were spiritual growth options. They said at this school, nothing spiritual here is mandatory, which I kind of took very well. I was like, I don't really want to go to 18 chapels a week or this or that. I would like to just hang out. So they said, nothing in this school that's spiritual is mandatory for you to do. We're not taking role at chapel. We're not taking role at, connect, at small groups. You don't have to do all that. Which, again, you feel 
relieved when you hear that, but they had a semicolon in the statement, and it said this at the end. Anything spiritual is your call, right? So you feel like, oh, cool, we don't have to do that. And then they go, but if you really want to grow in your faith, that's up to you. And you're like, all right, I'll go to chapel, you know. But, so. so we've talked about that, that Sabbath and rest and quiet time, that all starts with me. Sabbath is personal. I think we get that. I'm not even going to say that anymore this series. But I want you to notice what comes next in the text. I'm going to read this a couple of times and in a couple of ways. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. There's the you. It's personal. Neither you, again, because we forget about us sometimes, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. So again, you, people living in your home, people that you work with, work for, people that work for you, the animals, talk about that, and the immigrant. Or you can read it this way. I mean, notice what's being said. Sabbath flows from me and then to those closest to me and then to those who work with or for me and then in this text to creation, animals in this case, which in the case of the Israelites, the animals were the very tools for survival or you could say technology, a means of income and then to those who perhaps depend on me, the alien within my, the immigrant. Again, Sabbath flows from me to those closest to me, to those with whom I work, and then to creation itself or the things that provide for me, and then to those who perhaps depend on me. So in the command, the picture is not just rest for me, but rest for everyone. Now the daily survival steps that still needed to happen for the Israelites they happened. It wasn't actually possible to not work on the Sabbath. That was never the point of the command. You had to feed the animals. You had to take care of yourself and so on. And how Israel distributed the chores is not spelled out for us. But the idea of God and the hope of God was this, and this is what you want to hear. Figure out and discover ways to make everyone's workload minimal. And this is the bumper sticker here. Sabbath isn't just something that's personal. It's influential. It's influential. Sabbath isn't done alone, but on behalf of others. And again, we've dealt with the personal side, but Sabbath is really something that flows to the people in my life. Rest is to somehow be unleashed on those within my reach and care. The peace of Sabbath and rest is never contained. This is what the command is saying. There's a movement of rest. In the Deuteronomy version of the uh, command, Moses gives it another try. He says, slightly different here, he says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant or maidservant. We have an addition here in this one, nor your ox. We didn't have an ox in Exodus. Or your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that, check this out, so that your manservant and maidservant, these are the people that work with you and for you, may rest, comma, as you do. So it's a shared rest. It's not just, you go rest, I'll rest later, I'll rest now, you rest later. Make sure that everyone is resting equally. And the Sabbath, again, just to restate, isn't something that's just personal to me, but it's influential to anyone around me. I'm a carrier of rest for the people 
in my life, in Galatians chapter 6, which is a key uh, verse for us here at the church, if you're in a small group, a home group, this is one of the key verses about what it looks like to do life together. And Paul is uh, writing this piece to the church in Galatia at the time. And this is what he says in verse 1. He says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, which is a very heavy burden, like they can't get out of it, you who are spiritual and mature should restore him gently, but watch yourself for you also may be tempted. And then verse 2, this is the big thing here, carry each other's burdens. Each other's. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. He says fulfill the law of Christ because this verse is really a riff from something that Jesus said that we've looked at before in this series. The words that Jesus said were, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Paul was saying, if you carry the burdens of others, if you lift the weight of what's in their life, if you provide rest for them, then you are following and fulfilling the very laws of Christ. So the image here is of carrying a load, the distribution of struggle, sort of the sharing of weight. It's the gift of rest. So to live the Sabbath is to bring peace and rest to those around me, to lift the burden of those that we perhaps influence. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. It's a Christmas passage, so why not? Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? You never ask the king where the king has been born. We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, verse 3, he was, understandably in parentheses, disturbed, comma, and all Jerusalem with him. Do you have these people in your life? If they're uneasy, everybody is uneasy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's you, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your roommate. Again, perhaps it's you. I know that at times it's been me. I know at times I have been a carrier of stress into the lives of our staff here and not a carrier of rest. I've carried stress in here. Or I've brought stress and struggle into my home and not peace. And so in the command to Sabbath and rest, God is very clear. It's not just personal, but it's something that comes from you and it flows out of you and it's influential. It flows from me to those who are within my reach and my care. Not people you don't know. It's not pie in the sky. It's real people, real life, real, you know, circumference here of the people that you do life with. And so Sabbath is an act of grace and peace to those in your life. Jesus said these words, maybe you're familiar with them, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In the Bible, to be called a son of anything was, uh, was anything that referred to someone taking on like the character of the father or the main thing that's being talked about. There's a, you know the guy Barnabas in the Bible? Have you heard this guy's name before? It's not his name, it's a nickname. It's Barnabas, son of encouragement. His real name is Joseph. They just give them nicknames. I love how the disciples get nicknames. This is Joseph, but we call him Nuwanda. <laughs> it's a dead poet's thing. But, uh, but they would give him these nicknames based on what they were like. And Barnabas was this guy that, like, I'm sure he did a lot of things, but the one thing that was just clear about him was that he just encouraged people. When people were around him, he was just like this encourager of them. Like, they just felt, you felt good when you were around Barnabas. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, you could read the words, this is a, a healthy translation, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be doing a God-like thing. That's what God does. 
That's what Sabbath is. It's peace and rest. And if you're bringing peace, and many times the way of peace is not through retreat, but through struggle. And in some ways, the peacemaker is the most courageous person because he or she is the one running into the struggle, into the middle of the struggle, and working to create peace. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who are bringing peace to their family, to their co-workers, to those who depend on them, to their roommates, to their kids, and even to your enemies. So to restate, it's not just me, but Sabbath is for those within my reach and my care. Some stories. Nine years ago, I was walking down the hall of this church. I just joined the staff. I was like, been there 14 days, two Sundays, two Wednesday nights. That's all I had under my belt. So uh, walking down the hall one night, it was my job. It was a Wednesday night. It was my job to shut the building down, turn the lights off, which is always scary in a church, by the way. Has anyone ever been in a church after dark? This place, by the way, whoo! I swear, like, I'll be in my office and it'll just be like voices, but I'm not saying anything. But in the, our office is back there and like, the roof is right above the desks and there's gravel up there and the wind will blow and it'll move and I'm under the table immediately, you know. But anyway, so I'm walking to the hall. I need to tell the story here. I'm walking down the hall, turning off the lights, locking the doors, etc. And again, I've been on staff 14 days. That's it. And on the back hall, there was a light coming out of a room, so I'm going to hit that light. So I walk down the hall, all the way down the hall, and I get to the room, and I start to open the door, and I look in, and I stop because in the room are two elders of the church, two men. And I don't mean elder as in they were old. I just mean they were leaders in the church. And they had also been a part of hiring me, so this was, you know, that's who these people were. Been there 14 days, walking down the hall. It's nine years ago. Dark hallway, lights on, get up to the door, start to go in. But I stopped because I see two elders talking. They looked at me. I looked at them. I waved. They turned back around and kept talking like they didn't see me, but they did see me. And so I just moved on, and I went out to my car. But when I got to my car, I freaked out. Here's why. A year before that, I had been fired from a church. Elders were in rooms, just like that one, talking about me while I wasn't there. So my history did not let me get past that. The whole scene felt really familiar, like a replay. So I drove home that night, as you can imagine, not thinking about anything but my job. Was something wrong? What were they talking about? Am I not doing something right I was replaying everything that I had done in the last 14 days, which couldn't have been much, you know. But I was consumed with fear about what they were talking about. And then the phone rang, and it was one of those elders. God is just going. <laughs> so I was on the phone with the elder, one of them, and this is what he said to me, and this is incredible. Because they knew my history, Right? They knew the situation. They knew what had gone on in my life. And something must have clicked in this elder's head as he saw me leave and he called me, which, what an attribute of a leader to understand this. He calls and on the phone, he says, Derek, you never need to worry about a meeting that you were not in, ever. So go home and watch Friends and be at peace. Does this make sense? 
Every staff person had an elder at that church, and we would meet with them once a week. The guy that called me was my elder. And for years, just because he made that phone call to me and we talked, did not mean that that went away. I still struggle with that. And we would go on vacation every year, and to leave for vacation for me was a very hard thing, because A, I love my job, B, I'm sort of a workaholic, C, of the history. And so um, for years, years, I would often leave for vacation after church on a Sunday, because I just couldn't give a Sunday up, you know, struggle. And so we would plan the vacation. It's me and my wife and my child, and uh, they would, um, our youth room was down on the ground floor, um, and every Sunday, the day that I would be leaving for vacation, the same elder would come down to the youth room, down with our people, and he would descend uh, into the, <laughs> the cave that we had. And before youth stuff started on Sunday morning, he would pull me into a side room, and I'm in my 30s, you know, and I'm pulls me into a side room, and he would say, okay, here's the situation. We know you're going to Disney World today. Um, We want you to go and enjoy it. When you come back, you're still going to have a job. You're still going to have a desk. We love you. We believe in what you're doing. Go ride Space Mountain in peace. What a leader to understand that some people in your care are not at rest. And how brilliant to just pull someone aside and say, look, we know you struggle with this and you probably always will, so I'm just going to remind you again for the 400th time, go enjoy in peace. Now in conclusion, the Sabbath, when we read the command, it leaves us with no choice but to think about those around us. The Sabbath is not just a gift for me, but it's for everyone within my reach. And in fact, anytime faith and community and things like that are talked about, in the scriptures. It's always with others in mind. It's always about the community. And you and I must think deeply about how rest and peace flow from us to those nearest to us. So three examples in conclusion. Business leaders in the room today. And when I say business leaders, I mean people report to you, whether it's one, two, 20, 50, whatever. Maybe you run a company. But let me just tell you something that I know about the people that report to you. And it may not be a bunch of them. It may just be one of them. I don't know. But there are people that report to you that they go home at night and they worry about what you think of them. And I'm talking about good, honest employees. Maybe you have some bad employees. Fire them. That's fine. But (laughs) I told last service, my wife and I, you know, when the economy went bad and everybody started getting laid off, we're like, there's got to be a percentage of people that got laid off that the boss thought, oh, well, here's my excuse. Here's my excuse. (laughs) Bad economy, sorry, you gotta go. Really, I just don't like you, but whatever. If that was you, don't think that about yourself, sorry. Um, (laughs) But you need to know that there are people, if they work for you, report to you, bring things to you, serve you in some way, there are some good, honest workers that really have no need to worry about their jobs, but there are some that go home, and depending on the kind of leader you are, maybe all of them, But they go home and they worry about what you're thinking about them and their work and their job. So you, if you're a follower of Christ trying to honor God, not just with your life but with your work, the meeting you need to have tomorrow with your direct reports is when the day is over, you can go home in peace. And maybe you have no idea what that means for them, but they'll know. And it's just a circle up meeting just to say, look, I know that you're working hard for me and I appreciate it, I appreciate it, I appreciate it, but when you go home, you can go home. 
I'm not going to email you in the middle of the night and have you do something. I'm not going to call you on Saturdays. I'm, not going to, I'm going to let you rest. Because we rest, they don't rest. And so if we're constantly throwing things on them, if we're constantly not thanking, if we're constantly just leaving them at, in this unrestful state, I think as a business leader, a leader of a team, or anybody who has people reporting, you need to have that meeting. You need to figure out ways like this elder in my own life to read the different people's personalities and say, okay, look, I know you need, you need to rest. Families. Most of us are in families. Uh, there's wisdom in the day of rest. Again, you don't have to do it. But here's the wisdom in the day where no one works, sort of in Nehemiah where he's like, ain't nobody working. It's an equal rest. It's not a shifting of the load a shifting of the work. Like if I come home at the end of the day and dinner's being cooked and my son's sort of in the bullpen getting ready for homework and uh, I, I, I walk in and throw the bag on the floor and go, man, I just need like an hour on the couch. Well, the workload has shifted. Now my wife has to take care of the dinner and the homework drama while I'm just on the couch going, ugh. So Sabbath is not in a family situation. Sabbath never works when it's like, okay, today's going to be my Sabbath, and you get tomorrow, and the kids get Thursday. It never works that way because the workload gets shifted. It must be equal rest for everyone. So if you have a family, establish those moments where it's equal rest. Maybe it's just one night a week. It's a family night. You go bowling, and everybody has fun. No one's working. Where you leave the phones at home, and you just go play. It doesn't have to be a whole day, but just there needs to be moments where everything stops, or it's a day, or it's a weekend, or whatever. But it can't be just, I mean, there are definitely moments when I just need to veg and my wife gets it. She needs to just chill for it, take a nap. We get it. Those aren't related to this. But when we're talking about rest, it's equal. Friends, uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. And it may be one of the harder things relationally to do. But in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 26, he says, Therefore, or verse 26, In your anger do not sin, which usually is something that you say out of your anger. And sometimes do. In your anger do not sin. And then do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And then it says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Think about the way you leave conversations, whether at work or with friends. Do you leave those people with peace or with struggle? Do you get the last word in, like, got it, I'm going home, I feel good about what I said, it was great, and they get in the car and they struggle. They're not at peace. Jesus has something similar in Matthew uh, when he's teaching about worship and relationships, and he says, if you're at the altar and you're bringing your offering and you remember at the altar that you have something against your brother, your friend, like there's tension, he says, just leave the gift at the altar. Go and reconcile with your friend. Then come back and offer your gift to God. God's been around a long time. He can wait for this. Go and reconcile. And it's so connected because our worship of God is never disconnected from our love of neighbor. And so 
Jesus says the same thing. Don't do this without fixing that because your brother is not at peace. You're coming to, and the whole setting of bringing an offering to God was to be at peace with God. And so Jesus says, don't come and, don't come and be at peace with God if you're not at peace with your brother. And so Paul kind of says the same thing. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. End it before the new day starts. Do not give the devil a foothold. Like, don't just plague this person with stress and struggle and tension and fear and unrest. Does this make sense? Last thing, Sabbath, and it's just a restatement. It isn't just a personal thing. It's an influential thing, whether you know that or not. And the command flows from me to the people closest to me and all the way to the people who depend on me. And this is the picture of Nehemiah in Jerusalem. We're going to Sabbath, and if you're coming to sell stuff, you're going to Sabbath too. So enjoy your stay. But to Sabbath is to bring the grace and the peace and the rest of God to everyone within my reach and care. And so the question is, who is that person for you? Again, who is that team that works for you? In your home, how does that look? Blessed are the peacemakers, those who bring peace, for they will be called the sons of God. Amen? You figure that out. You figure out how that looks in your own context and in your own life. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing just a snippet of a song here at the end together. So let's all stand and uh, be back next week. We're going to end this thing. It looks, it looks really good. So some neat things to be said. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day uh, where we've come together um, to worship you, to sing about you, to sing to you, to pray, to remember your son through the communion, uh, to give in our offerings, to encourage one another as we've just been around talking and, uh, and to learn from your word. And Father, we pray that everything that's been done today has been pleasing to you, that you've looked down into this space and you've said right on, amen to us. I mean, we've just pleased you with our worship and, uh, and so we, we give everything that we've done today back to you. God, take our lives and mold them into these lives that bring peace to people, that bring rest, your rest. And God, certainly there are people in our lives that need it. They need a phone call today. They need, uh, they need a meeting tomorrow. They need just to be told that they can be at peace. So give us each the strength to do that in the lives of the people that we influence, and we all influence someone and so help us when we rest that it flows to those around us. Help us to be a church that in this small footprint in this big city, that those around us, from the businesses to the residential buildings and neighborhoods, that they feel your rest and peace in this place. It's in your name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Let's sing together.